Verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members and that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Let's pray. Father, we just are so grateful to have a place to come and gather this morning and hear your word. We're truly a blessed people, and, and Father, you don't want us to keep this word inside these walls. You want us to take it out and share the good news with, with everyone. And as we, as we look into these passages today, Father, my prayer is that your Holy Spirit would convict us personally and show us what we can do. Lord, you command us to go out into the world. Lord, to be salt and light. Father, we are living in a time 
in this nation that so many things are being challenged. Evil seems to be prevailing and right is wrong and up is down and, and uh, everything seems sideways. But Father, that calls your people to action. The season that we live in now is a time where your church has to shine. I pray that this word as it goes forth would touch our hearts and our hands and our feet and that we might be your ambassadors this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, the little ones are free. See you guys. <laughs> Unless your parents say you're not free, in which case, sit back down. <laughs> hey, we're, we're continuing to look at the Sermon on the Mount. Before we get too far, um, uh, we have an a incredible visitor with us. Mary Lee Hagerman is here. And so... Mary, may, Many of you may not know the story, but um, Marilee's um, first husband, who's in heaven with Jesus, built this church. And uh, she uh, married my pastor. Um, it's a long story. It's a great story. Somebody should make a movie of it. But uh, she's uh, now a pastor's wife out of Joshua Springs, and Gerald's out teaching a, a retreat. So she's in the neighborhood and came by to visit. So if you get a chance... Give her a hug, and I'm sure she'd love to, to share with you. It's, I know it's a blessing for us to uh, just remember those who did all the hard work. You know, I, I inherited a finished building. There was, I wasn't doing drywall, and I wasn't laying tile, but her husband, who uh, uh, was dying of cancer, he did all that. And uh, what a faithful man. So we're, we're just grateful to have you here, Mary Lee. <clears throat> All right, as we take a bite at uh, the Sermon on the Mount, remember I've been telling you guys, Sermon on the Mount goes from Matthew chapter 5 all the way through Matthew chapter 7. We're going to preach on it for like six months. Jesus did it at one time, at one, at one fell swoop, and so I don't want us to lose the continuity of the whole thing, right? I don't know. We start taking little pieces and we might, we might lose our way a little bit. So the main thesis of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks of in verse 20, when he says in Matthew 5, 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's like saying, unless you're better than the most religious people you know, you can't get in. And it was a shocking statement to them. Now, he began with nine Beatitudes, right? He laid out the Beatitudes for him. Blessed is the man who does this. This is what a disciple following Jesus looks like. And he's building uh, a lot on what we're going to be developing today. And that is the, the way we ought to see the law. I don't even like that word, the law. Because what scripture says is the Torah, it's the first five books of the Bible. And when we, we, we think of the law, we think of a list of do's and don'ts. But the Torah is more than that. Uh, in, in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, just before his thesis statement, Do not think I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
Now, we need to understand what that means. What does that mean? So we need to understand the story of Torah. So we need to understand the story of the first five books of Moses. And I know a lot of times we want to, we, nowadays there's a lot of teachers who want to unhitch things. So you hear anybody say unhitch something? Just unhitch you, them from your ear and listen to something else. Because if we don't understand the things that have gone before, we, don't, we won't understand the, the things that Jesus is speaking about. We need to understand what's going on. And so in this section we're going to look at today, Jesus is going to give uh, his interpretation on the law, his interpretation on the Torah. And he is the most uh, qualified to do so. We've said this a few times. He is the word of God giving commentary on the word of God. So who is it that can tell you what it means to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? Is there somebody better than Jesus who can do that? No, he's the lawgiver. So he is the one who's going to provide the interpretation for us. I want you to understand then, what is the story of Torah? It's not just a list of 613 commandments. The story of Torah is the story of a people that God calls all the way back in Genesis 12, right? Abraham, I'm going to make you a, a special people and a nation that God's going to build. And his purpose for this nation is that they, this nation would be a light to the rest of the nations. They would be able to reflect the character of God by the way they act, the things they do, the, the, the way they are. That's going to reflect who God is and be a witness to the other nations. So the Lord, he calls them forth from slavery to Egypt, and he brings them to Mount Sinai, right? Everybody remember? They come to Mount Sinai, and they enter into a covenant relationship with God, a covenant relationship with him wherein God provides the details to the covenant. That's the first five books of the Bible, the details of the covenant. The, the Jews would call it the divine words, the holy words, the words of the covenant. It's so much more than just Ten Commandments. But we need to understand when we look at that story and their freedom from the Exodus and they go to Mount Sinai and they receive the Ten Commandments, how long before they broke it? He didn't even get them down the mountain, right? He did not get down the mountain before they were broke. So here's what you're going to see. You're going to see commandments breaking, commandments breaking, commandments breaking. This is the story of the epic fail for 600 years of the nation of Israel in the Torah. That's the law. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. What's the story of the prophets? The story of the prophets is a story calling the people to repent, right? Okay, you've gotten off track. You need to repent. Get back online. And so they, most of the prophets are going to be put to death, right? Because people never like to hear you need to repent. People never like to hear what you're doing in your life is sinful. I'm sorry, I don't like it either, if it makes you feel better. But the reality is, when we are sinful, we need to be called to repentance, right? To get our hearts and lives right with the Lord. Well, Jeremiah, the prophet, the weeping prophet, had this long, hard uh, uh, deal working uh, with the nation of Israel and their unwillingness to herd, he looked into the future and he gave a prophecy in Jeremiah 31 that said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, 
when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No more shall each teach his neighbor and his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Now the short story of all of this is when Jesus says, I'm coming to fulfill it. He's coming to put it all together. The fact that the law is, is a consistent covenant that is constantly broken by his people and the hope that there was a day coming when God himself would be able to transform the heart of man so that the law of God could be written on his heart. I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill it. To bring together the story that the scripture lays out. So each example, we're going to see six examples today. And I could do a sermon on each one, but I don't have time. But I want you to see six examples where the Lord's going to tell us the heart of the law. Because we, get, we have this hang up. Man has this hang up. We can make ourselves look good on the outside. So Jesus is going to say as the lawgiver... Yeah, look, here's the law, and here's what I say to you. Your hearts are messed up. But what did Jesus come to do? He came to straighten out that heart, didn't he? Ezekiel himself prophesied about it. There would come a day when God would give a, take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Where the heart of man could be transformed. And the character of man could find himself in submission to the spirit of God to be made a new creation created in Christ Jesus. Amen. So Jesus is developing this. He's going to give us six things. He's going to talk about the problem of murder. He's going to talk about the problem of adultery. He's going to talk about the problem of divorce. He's going to talk about the problem of oaths. He's going to talk about the problem of retaliation. Anybody ever want to get back? And he's going to talk about the problem of love. So let's jump in. The problem of murder. Here's the tradition concerning it. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. This is sixth commandment. Laid out. It's not hard to find, right? Everybody's heard this one before. And I'm sure everybody in the crowd was saying, hope. There we go. I'm not a murderer. Until Jesus kept talking, right? But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, who does that cover? Oh, sorry. Everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. Where does murder start? Starts in your heart. And a lot of times... It starts with anger, which is produced out of our pride being injured, right? 
So Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. He's, he's digging into the heart. He says, I want you to understand, murder is only the outward manifestation of an inward issue in your heart. What is it that Jesus is telling him through the Sermon on the Mount? You need a new heart if you're going to be in the kingdom of heaven. Where do we get that new heart? We get that new heart through Jesus, right? He's going to be crucified, buried, and rise again. And the just shall live by faith and trust in his provision. So Jesus is laying out, I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother, whoever insults his brother, next change. Well, first I'm angry, then I start insulting. He will be liable to the council. But whoever says, you fool, will be liable of hellfire. You know that phrase, some of your, some of your Bibles will say raka, yeah? Raka, they just speak the Aramaic word into English. It's like telling someone they're worthless. Now, I want you to think about history. Every time there has been a genocide in this world, it started with people telling someone else that they were worthless. They have no value. They are just a clump of cells after all. Or they are just a criminal element or whatever. They make them worthless and then they take their lives. So Jesus is saying, listen, this is what is in your heart. I know many of you can say, I've never murdered anyone. But your heart has been on the road to murder. And Jesus said, that's not okay. Why is the story of Torah breaking the law, breaking the law, breaking the law? Because the hearts of men are wicked. Not just the guy on the other side of the row from you. The person in a row next to you has a wicked heart. You have a wicked heart. Jesus Christ is the cure for our wicked heart. This is what he's developing. So to say to somebody, hey, you're worthless, you have no value, you'll be liable of hellfire. That same judgment the Lord is saying for the attitude that is within the heart. So then he gives us a truth to apply. He's going to give us a tradition. He's going to give us his thoughts or teaching on that tradition. And then he's going to give us something to apply. What's the thing he wants us to apply? He says, so... If you are offering a gift at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, stop worshiping God, set your offering down, and go be reconciled to your brother. God said reconciliation to your brother was more important than coming with your offering before God. That's not talking about dropping an offering and a love offering. That's talking about people bringing sacrifice to the altar to worship God. And before you bring your sacrifice, Jesus is saying you need to be made right with your brother. That's why Paul would write, in as much as it is possible for you, be at peace with all people. You don't get to run around with anger in your heart. You don't get to run around with hurt feelings that somebody did or said to you. You don't get to do that. Jesus is saying, this is what I want you to do. Two things. One, be reconciled. So make it a priority to be reconciled. 
does not say make it a priority to prove that you are right. What does it say to be, make, the, make it? Be reconciled. Be reconciled. Go forgive your brother. Go forgive the one who has wronged you. Say, there's such power in these words. I forgive you. Even if they say, for what? I'm not forgiving you for you. I'm forgiving you for me. Because I don't want to run around with murder in my heart. Do you get it? So he says, be reconciled and come, uh, first be reconciled to your brother, then come offer your gift. Second thing, be reconciled, second part, be receptive. So in the second part, he gives an illustration. Somebody, you owe somebody money and they're taking you to court to sue you for the money. This is the illustration Jesus is giving. He says, on the way to court, make peace with him. Make a deal. Come up with something so you don't have to throw yourself on the mercy of the court. So be receptive to the, the offering for whatever it takes to be reconciled. That means you have to want to be a peacemaker, not a right maker. And the church is full of right makers. Not very many peacemakers. Remember the Beatitudes? Blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah, we want to have that attitude. So he's saying, look, if, if you owe somebody money and you're on your way to court, you say, look, I, I can give you half now and half tomorrow if we just we would just be done here. Make the deal on the way. That shows urgency, doesn't it? It shows urgency in trying to work things out this is the greatest point of weakness in the church today we don't know how to have peace so what we usually do is we get mad somebody gets mad at me or somebody gets mad at somebody else and you go to the church down the street but you didn't deal with the anger in your heart what's wrong with the anger in your heart listen listen to what jesus said that person with anger in his heart what did he say he's dangerous he's in danger of hellfire does that mean you should just ignore it should we or should we deal with it jesus is is laying out for us this this attitude that we have the problem with murder it's in the heart what about the problem of adultery? Verse 27, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Hey, that's another one of the Ten Commandments, right? You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. And then Jesus looks at all the guys. He looks at them and says, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in the heart. So you hear the statement. Here's the tradition. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Here's Jesus teaching. Adultery happens in your heart. So you have to deal with what? The heart. Is it my outward station? Well, look at me. I look good. You, could, I, you guys all know I don't look good at all. I can't even say I've never committed this sin because I have committed this sin. If you know my testimony, you know that part of my story. But as we, as we look at it here, he's saying, listen, this is in your heart. So where do I have to deal with it? 
Why did Jesus have a problem with the religious authorities? Why did he have a problem with the scribes and Pharisees? Why did he call them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones? Because they would say, we've never committed murder while they're planning to kill Jesus. They would say they've never committed adultery, but it didn't stop them from looking lustfully at people that didn't, women who did not belong to them. The point is not to find a way to justify your actions or how long is too long. Just know this. Your heart is wicked and you need a new heart. Do you know that? Jesus is saying you need a new heart and he's the one who gives us a new heart. He's the one who provides that heart. Now, why is this an urgent thing or just something we should uh, just laugh about? (laughs) My dad used to laugh about this all the time. And then he committed adultery and left my mom. So maybe it's not something you should laugh about. Here's the urgency that Jesus gives to it, the truth that we are to apply. If your right eye causes you to sin, do what? Pluck it out? Is that, is that a, a statement of urgency? Okay, so let's settle this. Please don't go home and pluck your eyes out. <laughs> this is a metaphor to understand the urgency about dealing with our broken heart, our messed up heart, our sinful heart. Don't justify your sinful heart. Rather, surrender your sinful heart to Jesus Christ and receive a new heart. And then walk in submission to that through the power of the Holy Spirit to be made a new creation. Amen? Deal with your heart. Don't say, oh, it's it's not a big deal. He says, it's better for you to lose one member than to enter into hell. That's not the word Hades. That's the word Gehenna. He's not talking about dying physically. He's talking about dying spiritually. It's a big deal. Man's heart is wicked. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Get it out of your life. It is an urgent matter to realize the wickedness of man's heart. And then these two, this one and the next one, he's talking to guys. Now, ladies, you're not off the hook. I don't mean to imply that your hearts are not wicked. Just that men's hearts are more wicked. I don't know if that's true either, but I happen to be a guy, so I know that side better. Um, But these next two very specifically are dealing with men. What's the point? You need to be urgent. You need to refuse to tolerate it. Don't make peace with sin. Refuse to tolerate it and realize the seriousness of it. Don't just make it a little thing. And recognize when Jesus is presenting the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking to people who don't know about his death, burial, and resurrection. He has not been uh, risen from the grave. He's not offered the Holy Spirit. That hasn't come yet. So now he's presenting to them their brokenness. And why is the law, why are the covenants with God broken, 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 broken for 600 years of history? And he's telling them, this audience, it's because your hearts are wicked. And I'm here not to abolish the law, not to say the law is no good. I'm here to fulfill it. I'm going to do what Jeremiah said. I'm going to make a new heart for you. Well, that's a beautiful thing. It's an incredible opportunity. Now he moves to the problem of divorce. 
Now, I want you to understand this is not the summation of all teaching on divorce in the Bible. This is dealing with the teaching of divorce in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has a point that he's making. Look at it. He says, it is also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Where's that in the law? not there where's that oh it's in torah it's in torah it's in deuteronomy chapter 24 1 through 4 where moses because of the hardness of men's hearts gave them a certificate of divorce why because they were hating their wives so jesus says listen it has been said whoever divorces his wife let him give her a certificate of divorce that was the tradition Hey, you can divorce. Can you divorce your, your wife for just any old thing? Well, that's what they thought. They thought, yeah. Why? Because it was a man's world then. Now, I know, ladies, you still think it's a man's world today. But I watch the news. I don't think that's happening anymore. But it was a man's world then. So when they would mistreat women. That's the whole concept about that we saw earlier about the the uh, sin of adultery, the, the men saw women, uh, they, they had more power to act on it then. I know they still do it now, uh, but they had more power to act on it then. To see a woman, I'm not, I love her, I want her, make a deal, pay the marriage price, get married, uh, you know, two, three, four years later, I don't love her anymore, I want somebody else. And they just would throw her away and throw her away. And do it again. This is not new, the attitude of divorce, 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 divorce. That's not a new thing. But Jesus specifically is looking at the heart of men who would see a woman as a, just a thing to possess and to take and throw away, take and throw away. And I'm, I want you, I don't want you. And, and this is an attitude where? In the heart. What is Jesus pointing to? He's pointing to the the wickedness of our hearts. So listen to what Jesus says, verse 32. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, he gives a clause. There's there's one place where the Lord uh, may, may give a pass. But otherwise, he says, he makes her, he makes her commit adultery. The person who he's talking to is the husbands, the men who see women like a piece of meat. And that's not okay. She's your sister in Christ. She is one for whom Christ died. She is not a thing. She is a daughter to the king of kings. And you better be careful how you treat her. Because she matters to her father in heaven. So Jesus is saying, you make her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And he's saying, this is because of the problems in your heart. This is the problems going on. Why? The reason is unfaithfulness. The unfaithfulness. or unfa- You're not faithful to the, woman of your, to, the, to the wife of your youth. You're unfaithful to the to the covenant that you made. And God expects us to be faithful to our covenants. The Bible says, pay your vows to the Lord. 
Do you know part of every wedding ceremony is a vow to God? The first part, the part people don't think about very much, the part where they stand up and they, they give their pledge to the preacher, will you have this woman? That is a vow given to God. Then they write their vows to one another. Some of them nowadays are a little goofy. <laughs> I'm old, I get to say that. Some of them are super sweet, right? Well thought out. Yeah, trust me, I do weddings all the time. I've heard it all. I've heard words in a wedding vow that nobody should say anytime. <laughs> Anywhere. But it is part of diminishing the value of the covenant. Because after all, if it doesn't mean all that much in the beginning, it's really easy to just say, I don't have to be faithful to, to my promise, right? And where does that, where's that root? It's in my heart. That's in my heart. So what is the truth that he wants us to apply? He's laying out for us. Look, don't divorce. Now look, there, I want you to know, if you're here today and you've been divorced, I don't even care if you've been divorced 50 times. There's not a list in the Bible that says of all the sins where divorce is listed. Divorce is part of our failure to keep the, our commitments to God. Do we fail at times? We do. Is God's mercy new every morning? Does God forgive us? Yeah. yeah. Does that mean that's what God wants us to do? No. No, there are a lot of things in my life I wish I'd never done. But I am thankful for a God whose mercy is bigger, whose compassion is great. He's a just God, and I am not asking for justice. I'm asking for mercy. And he gives it. Amen? So it's not a condemnation thing. This is just Jesus saying through the Sermon on the Mount, your hearts are wicked. You've heard this, and maybe you think you keep it, right? I can get divorced to anybody I want. I, as long as I got that piece of paper, it's good. And they're, in their day, they were flinging them divorces out right and left. This is not new. But Jesus is saying that's not how it's supposed to be. That shows unfaithfulness in your heart. You won't keep your covenant to your spouse. That's why you won't keep your covenant to your God. So he goes on now to develop the idea of a problem with oaths. A problem with oaths. Verse 33, again, you have heard it. Uh, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely. But perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So you shall pay your vows. Interesting, right? On the heels of marriage, he would talk about vows. No? I'm sure it's just, it's just circumstantial. He's talking about vows. Uh, but I say to you. So he's saying, look, here's the tradition. Keep your vows. Jesus is going to put this one on his ear. He's going to say, just do me a favor. Stop making them. 
you don't have the, how many times have you guys, talk, just, just normal conversation, told somebody, no, really, I swear to God. There, <laughs> there's a scripture that says that for every idle word, we will be held accountable. You ever said swore to God and you probably shouldn't have? Because you weren't going to keep whatever you were swearing to God? Listen to what Jesus said. Here's the tradition. Don't swear falsely. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Do not take an oath at all. Either by heaven, because that's God's throne, or by earth, because that's his footstool. It's all his. Don't swear by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Don't even swear to yourself by yourself. Just simply let what you say be yes and no. In other words, speak the truth. Everything else, that comes from evil. All the other stuff comes from evils. What's he saying? Where does that evil spring forth out of? What did, the, what did Jesus tell the scribes and the Pharisees? They look at Jesus' disciples. We'll see it in a six months when we get done with the Sermon on the Mount. When, when we, look at, we look at the scribes and Pharisees, look at Jesus and say, Hey, your disciples, they're unclean. They're eating with dirty hands. And Jesus is like, look. Let's, get, let's, let's just get one thing straight. Eating with dirty hands is not what makes you unclean. You're unclean because your hearts are wicked. You need to think about that. You're not unclean because you didn't wash your hands. You're unclean because of the things that are happening in your heart. And what's Jesus trying to focus their minds to in the Sermon on the Mount? Get your hearts right. Your hearts are messed up. You need a new heart. And he's the one who will provide it. Amen? He's the one who's going to provide it. He's going to, to give it. So what is the truth that we're to apply? Just speak the truth. Okay. I always get this every time I say something like this. Don't ever lie. Just don't ever lie. And someone will say to me, tomorrow at, at coffee with the pastor, I will get asked this question. I'm telling you ahead of time. But Jackie, what if my wife says to me, do I look good in this? <laughs> okay, let's go back. Always speak the truth. Always speak the truth. Now, my wife has asked me many questions over our illustrious marriage. And sometimes I look at her and I just say, this is a trap. <laughs> she has looked at me before and she'll point to somebody and she'll say, oh, don't you like that dress she's wearing? Yeah. Trap. Trap? <laughs> Trap? Nope. I don't even know what you're talking about. I didn't even know there was another human being here other than you. <laughs> 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 
We can be creative with the statements we make. But you need to speak truth. I told my wife a long time ago, the mirror in our house is not her mirror. I'm her mirror. And she's the most beautiful woman on the face of the earth. And that's, and that's how that goes. Now, if she wants to know what all the other girls will think about her dress, she should ask them. So we want to, we want to, what's Jesus saying? Look, we only want to communicate in truth. We don't need to emphasize we're really being truthful by saying, I swear to God, because that's going to get you in trouble. Just be truthful. Paul would write in Ephesians chapter four, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth. Okay, next he's going to move the problem of retaliation verse 38 you have heard it that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth that's the lex talionis the law of retribution the law of retribution now some people would say uh eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth just makes us all toothless and blind (laughs) oh okay so what the lex talionis is is the law of mercy. The punishment equals crime. So how do I how do I say that? Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Not they took my eye, I'm chopping off their head. <laughs> That's usually how we do it. Right? We want to get by a little better. It's not square. The law of mercy says, no, you don't get more than, than what you're owed. She wouldn't like this. You get, we, we live in a suit-happy world these days, no? Oh, some, I'm suing you for this or that or the other thing, and I got billions and millions. That's weird. That's not Lex Talionis. Eye for eye tooth for tooth but here's what jesus has to say about it so you're thinking oh okay lord i just want to get even okay but i say to you do not resist the one who is evil he did not just say that i can't do nothing with that i can't save you from that that's what it says Yes? Do not resist the one who is evil. If one slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other also. I know there's a a hundred million teachings out there about what this really means. Yes, let's, let's just work on the words he uses. This means if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other. That's what he said. If anyone would sue you, To take your tunic, let him have your cloak too. If anyone forces you to go one mile, that would happen in their world. The Roman soldier would pull up next to you walking down the road and be tired of carrying whatever he was carrying and he'd put it all on your back and say, hey, come here, you carry this stuff for me. I'm not going that way. I don't care. You are now. Jesus would say, 
go with him too. Verse 42, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. When you are attacked, when you are forcefully approached, when you are financially asked, do not retaliate, do not resent, do not refuse help. Would we look different if that's what we did? If you think about the picture, right, of Torah and a nation of Israel that was going to follow the commands that God gave so that they would reflect the character of God to the people around them. And so if they actually reflected the character of God, would, would they look different from everybody else? Would they stick out? That's pretty wild. Jesus said, you've heard the, the law of retribution, the law of mercy. You know, you can't take more than, than what's owed to you. If they owe you an eye, that's all you get is an eye. You don't get two. But Jesus said, I say, just lay it all down. That's a hard teaching. He's, he's not finished with it. He's going to give you a worse one in a minute. He's going to give us a worse one because he's going to build right off of that idea, the, the problem of retaliation. He's then going to move to the problem of love. He says, for you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor, right? And hate your enemies. Yeah, that's there. In the imprecatory Psalms, you guys know what an imprecatory Psalm is? Every once in a while, David would sing a psalm about knocking out the other guy's teeth. I hate them with a holy hatred, God. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Now, in a little while, we're going to see people are going to come up to Jesus and say, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, which, by the way, is in Torah, right? Leviticus 19, I think it's 1918. Love your neighbor as yourself that's in the law he comes up and they're going to say but but really who's my neighbor so my neighbor is the people who agree with me and everybody else i can hate because they're not my neighbor so i can get them right god i can get those guys and the lord's like nah, you're gonna love them all you're going to love your enemies. Wow. Wow, how do I do that? How do I do that? How do I not resist evil? How do I, how do, I do these things that Jesus is laying out? I, I don't have it within me to do it. Do you? Because the problem is where? It's in my heart. Keeping the law was never a list of do's and don'ts. It was a tutor that led me to Christ because he said, I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you a new heart so that you can respond, so that you don't have a heart to retaliate, so that you don't resent those who are requiring things of you that's not right. 
so that you don't refuse to help those who are in need because you just don't want to be bothered with it today, but rather that you would love your enemies. This is his teaching, the responsibility to our enemy. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Hear what he's saying. Love your enemies because that's what God's like. And you say, what are you talking about, Jackie? The Old Testament, they're killing people right and left. Kill these people, kill those people, kill them people. The Bible says that in our natural state, we are enemies of God. What's it say in John 3.16? For God so... Oh, wait a minute. Well, back up. God so loved the world who are enemies of God, who are rebellious toward God, who are sinners, yes? Who are are a broken mess. God so loved them that he took the greatest treasure in all of heaven and he crucified him for me. There is not a greater love for enemy you will ever find. I don't care where you go in the annals of history than the love of God for this world and the provision he made in his son. Love your enemies for then you will look like your father in heaven. We look like God. We we are reflecting his character when we love our enemies. For he, God, makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. Does God do good things for bad people? You know, the answer is yes, not a trick question. Yes, God does good things for bad people. You know how I know? You are all bad people, and he does good things for you. I'm a bad people. He does good things. Does the sun rise in the morning? You've seen beautiful sunsets that just made you stop and, man, just take it all in? Does he only do that here in God's country? But over there in Afghanistan, you know, they don't have a sunrise. Oh, they do. And those same people maybe we would look at as wicked people come out of their caves and they look up at the heavens and marvel at the beauty of a sunrise given to them by a gracious God who gives the sunrise to the wicked and the good who gives rain to the wicked and the good. Listen to what he says in verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? What have you done? That's, that's cool. Do not even tax collectors do the same. They viewed them as the worst. You remember the prayer, right? When Jesus was there with a, a, a righteous man, a, a religious person was there at the temple to pray and a tax collector. You guys remember? And the religious person said, Lord, I'm so thankful I'm not as bad as that guy over there. Thank you that I am at least decent and I 
I don't look like that. I don't act like that. I don't eat what he eats. I don't walk with people he walks with. And then the tax collector, he couldn't even make words. He just fell on his knees, beat his breast, and said what? Have mercy on me. Uh, which prayer does God answer? Have mercy on me, a sinner. When we finish this, does anyone feel like you're not a sinner? You feel like you got all these. All the extra parts Jesus puts in, the things in our heart, you're like, yep, nope, I'm good. If that's you, just on the chance there's somebody here, Paul wrote in the book of Galatians, that no one is justified by the law. No one looks at the heart of Torah, the story that God tells of people's inability to keep covenant with him. Nobody does it. No, not one. That's why Jesus came. If that's not true, Jesus did not need to die. You just need to work harder. But the truth is, we do not keep, we cannot keep the letter of the law, let alone the heart of the law. We need a new heart. So the new covenant said that that the Lord would come and write his law where? On our heart. He would write it on our hearts. He would give us a nature. Specifically, Jeremiah is saying he's going to do it for the nation of Israel. Where did Jesus come? To the nation of Israel. Where did he minister? To the nation of Israel. Where where was he crucified? Where was he buried? Where did he rise? What were his disciples? Every last one of them. What were his disciples? All Jewish people that God gave a new heart to. And then what did he tell them to do? Now go get them all. Go change all their heart because the blood of Jesus Christ is strong enough to save you and me and anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord. Amen? He is able Listen to verse 48. I just want you to see the culmination. The culmination of the whole deal. Therefore, all you have to do is be perfect. (laughs) You say, no, it doesn't really say that. It does too. You see the words. They're right up there. Is God perfect? So all you have to do Apart from Jesus Christ, all you have to do to be saved is be perfect. If you made it through this much of the Sermon on the Mount and you got that whole idea down, I'm perfect. You need special prayer. You need to come up. We have special prayer for special people. Here's here's the point that Jesus is getting to. We're going to pray. To follow Jesus means to address 
the true issues of our brokenness. It means to be the tax collector. It means to be the prostitute. It does not mean to be the religious person who looks like they have it all together. It means to come to him in truth with our brokenness laid open and know that the word of God promises that he will make me whole. I can only be made whole in Christ Jesus. I can only be made whole by the blood of the sacrifice that he anointed on the ark in heaven. The blood that was applied that covers the wrath of God. See, that's what the ark did. People say all the time, where's the ark? It's in heaven. Yes, the Bible says that, actually. It's crazy. Where's the ark? It's in heaven. What do you mean it's in heaven? What's what it says? Book of Hebrews tells us the ark's in heaven. Nuh-uh. Well, now you have your study. Go find out where the ark is. It was covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. The ark, the box of the ark. You guys have to understand the box was the thing that held all the failures of men. You remember what went in there? The broken tablets of the Ten Commandments. What were they broken for? Because the people broke them. And Moses got mad. Oh, that's a heart issue, isn't it? That went in. What about, what else was in there? Manna went in there. You know manna? They called it manna. God called it bread from heaven. That's why Jesus said, I am bread from heaven. But the people called it, what's it? What's that? I don't want any of that. What's that? So the manna went in there. They put in their implements that the people would worship. They used to worship the, the bronze pole with the serpent on it. You remember? They started worshiping the thing instead of the God that provided victory through it. And so all of these things, all these things that represent the failures of men is in the box. You know what's on top of the box? The mercy seat. Ah, the hilasterion. That's the Greek word. Hilasterion. When did the Jews get in trouble around the ark? Oh, they're not supposed to carry it wrong, right? If they touch it wrong, they touch it, you know, don't, don't do it. Do it God's way. But there was a bunch of Philistines that opened it and nothing happened to them. You remember? But Jews opened it. You remember what happened to them? They all died. They all died. Why? Because it was a representation for them of all their failure covered by the mercy of God. Don't take the mercy of God off. You won't survive without the mercy of God. So that ark is in heaven covered with the blood of Jesus Christ so that you and I and on whoever will call upon the name of the Lord can receive mercy from God, his grace poured out on us, a new heart. We are made a new creation so that we can become the men and women that we need to be. This is the groundwork that Jesus is laying in the Sermon on the Mount. He will deal with our brokenness. He will bring transformation. That's how he will fulfill the law.
He's going to change your heart. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to just see another piece of the puzzle. The puzzle is not complete. There's more pieces to this puzzle. And God, I pray that you would continue to to help us see, to help us grow, help us understand the things that your word is laying out for us. Lord God, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. And I recognize, as I look at the story of Torah, as I look at the story in the Old Testament, what I recognize is man cannot be made perfect apart from you. So he made him who knew no sin to become sin for me that I might become perfect. Because the scripture lays out now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and who is able to make you perfect. Jesus Christ was announcing to the people, I am here to make a way where there is no way. I am here to provide. I am the Lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world. So, Lord, we give you glory and honor for who you are. For you are worthy because you have done this. And I look at this law and I say, God, I'm, I fail in so many ways still today. I, I struggle still today. I fail, but I know where my help comes from. I'm not hopeless now. I'm not in a place where there is no hope for me. I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb. I'm filled with the Spirit of God. So all I have to do is to come before you and ask for forgiveness where I fail and strength to succeed. Help me be the man you need me to be. Give me wisdom to know how to treat others, how to care for others. Not to come to the Sermon on on the Mount and give excuses why we ought not be any of these things. Just to humbly say, I am yours. You are the potter. I am the clay. You mold and make me that I will be a vessel that honors you. And I'll give you praise for it all. In Jesus' name, amen.